0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of Full Momentum in HEC Raz Vodcast. I'm your host, Ben Carey, and here joining me, as always, is Chris Goodell. Uh, Chris, welcome to episode 10. It is last time we took almost a month to get the last episode out, and this one's <laughs> been almost two. So I know we've been very busy at work, but excited to get into yeah. the episode today. Oh.
1: Yeah, I think you might be able to tell where we are in the the year of podcasts we've done by your beard. I, was so.
0: I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> you
1: knew where I was going with that. I knew it. Let's yeah, see. So just... that's a post a post summer beard that, that Ben is sporting. And and again, yeah. I mentioned this before. I only bring it up because I'm jealous because I can't grow a beard
0: <laughs> like that. <laughs> well I think all of the Hecaraz community would uh, would love to see Chris Cadell's best attempt at a oh my god but my uh your no. your your wife might not might not like
1: she that yeah <laughs> she's not uh not thrilled about that idea and uh yeah it would be pretty it'd be pretty sketchy looking so we'll put it that way I've tried a few <laughs> times in the past but it's not a good look trust me
0: well you have to look as professional <laughs> as possible because uh, a few of our listeners will know this but uh currently Chris and I have just started uh, our second online series of the 1D two D Heckraz class yeah. which is uh off to a great start. I think we have 50 participants from all around the U.S. and even a few folks from international countries, which is which is really, really exciting to see. I know we were really excited with the turnout. Um, so if you weren't able to sign up for this uh, fall session, keep your eye out for uh, the next session, which will probably be in spring of 2021 and we'd love to have you be part of that. Um,
1: yeah, and let me just say we we have a lot of fun with it, too. Uh, I think it's, it's I like the, the, the fact that you and I can do this together. We can yeah. bounce things off of each other, but we get really good feedback from the people listening. And the really cool thing about this class, too, is that we have a Teams page set up, and everyone can collaborate together. We can ask questions of each other. You can see the answers. People post funny pictures and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's a good time. It's a great way to learn HackRAS in a very casual, fun atmosphere. Yeah. Kind of like these podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you like the vi- format of these podcasts, you would definitely like the format of the class. I would, you know, probably compare it to something more similar to like a college class as opposed to like a, you know, a more traditional technical professional training. It's like Chris said, yeah. it's fun, it's casual. We're kind of all in it together. We're learning and, and teaching together. So it's, it's a great time. Um, speaking of our, some of our international students that we have in that class, I think Chris, we both um, had an opportunity to kind of help with an issue with one of our students uh, that w- he was having an issue running his HECRAS model for our first workshop. And uh, that led us to think, hey, this would be a good time to touch on this kind of um, tip and trick or to really just listen uh, lesson learned when it comes to using HECRAS um, in foreign countries or with uh, settings that aren't standard in the U.S. so Chris do you want to touch on yeah touch on that
1: yeah I will and it's it's a really important um, topic because there are a lot of international users out there and here in the U.S. we tend to forget about that fact and um, so a lot of times these errors will pop up and Uh, It's not the first thing that comes to mind to check that. And so it's always a good idea to, well, first of all, take a look at your error messages. Now, I said, when we were looking at this yesterday, I said this wasn't a very helpful message, but um, in further review of it, I'm going to share it with everybody here really quick. Further review. It actually did have a clue in there. I don't know if you noticed that, Ben, but let me show you what I'm talking about. So um here's the error message that popped up. And this is uh I want to give credit to Bjorn. And boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up his last name, but Donham from um Oslo, Norway. He's in our class and yeah. and, a, got this...
0: and a loyal listener to the podcast.
1: And and a listener to the to the podcast. <laughs> so um thanks for that, Bjorn. And he said, Hey, I'm getting this message, I'm trying to run the workshop. This message popped up and you you immediately your eyes are drawn to the red right as it's supposed to. Uh, but the red text doesn't really tell us anything. I have no idea what HDF5 Diag error detected in HDF5 1.8.11 means. It means nothing to me. Uh, may mean something to the developers of RAS. What we can see is that there was a big enough error that it stopped the compute process and so we got no results. Mm-hmm. But Always remember to go back up and take a look at these messages and just kind of go through and see if anything provides some clue or any usefulness to you. You can see there's some information about the plan, when the simulation started. Okay, it's writing the geometry now. Mesh tables are current, blah, blah, blah. And then we get down to stop. Error in the time window. Okay, so now we have this clue. There's something with the time window. So you immediately you should check All right, did I make an error in how I typed in my simulation time window, whether it's the date or the time? But the other thing is, if you're an international user, um, recognize that the way HECRAS was programmed was based on the way we do our date format here in the US, which is different than most other countries. Most other countries will have the day first, followed by the month, followed by the year. But in RAS, it goes month, day, year. And so that little thing can screw you up. But there's yeah, an I, easy fix. Yeah. Chris,
0: and if you want to zoom in to that, the very top of that photo where it says simulation started at, it's a little bit hard to see right now. But if you could zoom in there, um, there's, there's that second clue. You guys notice the date uh-huh. there zero <laughs> 08 OKT, which uh-huh. I, I believe is the initials for October in, in Norway. Yeah. And so that is another clue there. Hey, that's something a little bit unusual. Um, So,
1: well, yeah, I, you know, that's great. You found that Ben, I did not even notice that. And, and it, and in fact, it may not jump out as being unusual to someone from Norway because this looks normal to them. Right. But when we see it, we're like, oh, that should be OCT. Okay. So now Raz sees this OKT and says, I don't know what that means. And so you get the error.
0: Right. Yeah. So, yeah, line, good catch. Bottom line is there is a way that you can yeah, avoid this issue if you're using RAS internationally. Uh, is that correct, Chris? Yeah.
1: That is. Yeah. And let me show you how to do that really quick. If you go into your start menu, go to your settings. Okay. And let me move this window over here and you'll see that there is a spot for time and language now if you want to save a couple mouse clicks you could just type region into the uh, the search bar at the bottom but here's where you find it and you can see here we've got our region settings okay so go into the region settings and you'll see this regional format so this is what we want to change if you if you're if you're from uh, another country besides the US and I think Canada works fine too. So I think you can leave this as Canada if you want. But uh, most other countries, what you would want to do is change this to English, United States. Yep. Okay. So you just open this drop down, find all the English settings. There's a lot <laughs> of them was, in there's there. There's so many. <laughs> I didn't know that there were that many. But <laughs> but find the one for English, United States, and then you're going going to be optimized for RAS. Now it's kind of a nuisance, I'm sure. Uh, i don't have to do it so i don't really um it, it's not a problem but i can imagine being from another country having to switch this every time you do HECRAS is it's kind of a nuisance but this will take care of a lot of those problems and errors and in fact that is what helped uh or that's what got rid of this problem for beyond
0: so yep yeah it was a, a really quick fix and i think the the lesson to take away here is if you're have if you're using HECRAS internationally and you're having an mm-hmm. error right at the beginning of your simulation before any computations are even taking place, um, first thing to check: make sure that your language setting is correct. If it is, yeah. there's something else going on, but this might be an easy fix for a lot of those issues. And I think it's a great mm-hmm. reminder for everybody and us who are you know helping teach folks internationally that this is an issue. So.
1: Yeah, and it's it's always good to have kind of a um, a. Um, a bin of low hanging fruit solutions to models that crash and to try those out, you know, it's, it's a quick thing to check. And if it doesn't solve the problem, okay, it didn't solve it, but at least you can rule that out as being the problem, but Hey, you may get lucky. Maybe that's indeed what's causing it to crash. You've spent very little time because you go after these low hanging fruit solutions, like checking your regional settings. So,
0: yeah. yeah. to, To give Bjorn a little bit of credit too. He did kind of what my, suggestion would be initially and that is you know he saw this was a, something wrong with the file structure he saw it's an hdf error um so his initial thought after trying a few things and checking a few things and not seeing any issues was to delete the project start over again. Cause sometimes when you're, you know, heck can be a little buggy. You can, you know, something gets saved wrong or whatever. And then all of a sudden your files corrupt and that can lead to some issues. And so he did the right thing. He started over, he got the same error again and that's when he kind of reached out to us. So that was a good, uh, good, like you said, a kind of a simple solution for trying to, to nip it in the bud right away but uh, yeah, yeah yeah
1: real good learning lesson for sure
0: yeah definitely definitely cool well thanks for sharing that chris um well, and thanks
1: to bjorn too for uh bringing that to our attention so we could uh share it with everybody else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Shouts to Bjorn, loyal vodcast listener. Uh, (laughs) So before we get into today's, uh, to today's topic, which we're going to talk about the, the name of our, we named our topic today just because it had a clever name, but uh, the, the name of our topic today is 2d or not 2d. Um, and the idea is really diving into 2d modeling, uh, why 2d modeling presents some, some really unique, awesome, uh, aspects of hydraulic modeling that a 1D model does not. Um, But also get into some of the limitations and maybe applications and alternatives to 2D Mm -hmm. modeling. Um, Just to give kind of people an introduction. Maybe you're not super familiar with 2D. Maybe you're interested in getting 2D involved in 2D, but you're kind of skeptical or you're not sure of things. Just want to give a brief overview to people on that. Uh, So that's going to be the topic for today. But before we get into that, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. Um, so, as always, we're thankful to our sponsor, which is our firm, Kleinschmidt Associates, who is known throughout the industry as a firm that provides practical solutions to complex problems affecting energy, water, and the environment. You can learn more about our firm at KleinschmidtGroup.com. So, thank you. Hey, you,
1: you want to hear something cool about Kleinschmidt, Ben? Yeah, I do. So, uh well, you already know this, but for the listeners out there, we we've had some fires around here, right, Ben? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, and and the winds have brought a lot of smoke into the area, and uh, there were some people who, unfortunately, lost some homes, and other folks who had to evacuate, and it was just the air quality was awful. And Kleinschmidt sent me a survival backpack just in okay. case. Yeah, yeah. You know, and with a lot of cool stuff in there, with some uh, food rations and um a lot of masks and stuff and not just the the cheapy ones but the the n95 so like you could go out in that smoke and be okay and so yeah that's the cool stuff that kleinschmidt does for you so
0: absolutely yeah yeah. yeah. Fun place to work. We we love working here. I think the only thing that was missing from your bag, Chris, was maybe a, a mobile laptop charger so you could still access hec if you had to go back <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. but other than, modeling
1: I never ends. That's right. Yeah.
0: Awesome. All right. Fire cool. Well, stop us. <laughs> let's get into today's technical topic, which again, we're calling 2D or not 2D. And I'm just going to start off by giving question. kind of a that is the question. That is a yeah. question that Chris and I find ourselves asking on a, almost a daily basis when we're doing consulting work. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there listening to this podcast mm-hmm. that have to ask themselves that question. Um, so yeah, what is, so let's just get into 2D modeling here really quick. So 2D modeling obviously is, is, is really cool. Chris, I don't know, do you know roughly when 2D modeling really started coming into the mainstream of kind of the hydraulic modeling world
1: well if we're talking specifically Hec RAS, it uh, 5.0 came out about uh i want to say a 2014 eh, ish era in a beta form and then it was kind of hung out as a beta for about a year and then they slowly evolved but as far as um just in general 2d modeling i mean it's been around for a very long time but only i would say maybe in the last 20 years or so has it really become mainstream enough that you could start running simulations on your desktop and do things like that. And there are some other software programs out there that um, that got to the party first before HeckRaz, Um okay. several of them out there. And HecRas was admittedly a little bit late, but, um, you know, they don't have the same kind of budgets that some of the other ones do. And um, plus, there were some other kind of political things as far as in the core, you know, who's going to do the 2D stuff. But anyway, that aside, yeah, to answer your question, uh, fairly recent. I mean, really, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, uh, certainly within my career, yeah.
0: And I know for a long time, some of those other 2D modeling softwares were kind of a step or a couple steps ahead of of HECRAS 2D. But in Mm -hmm. the last couple of years with some of these more recent releases, I mean, HECRAS is getting right up there as far as um you know technical ability and applicability to a number of different situations Uh, it is a very 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 high level 2d model that's widely used that chris and i really enjoy using and that we've been able to do some some really cool work for clients with uh for those of you guys who aren't super familiar with 2d modeling you know the real advantage that 2d modeling has is it allows you to explore the dynamics of river flow um, in the case of HECRAS in areas where maybe you don't necessarily know the direction of flow. uh, You have some really complicated hydraulics, complicated um, situations. If you're doing really detailed analysis for um, near field flow, for instance, around structures or restoration designs, it's really hard to capture that and produce results that are good enough for design level um, engineering work. And in one d, but in two d yeah. that's something that's it, it, that's that's what it's built for. It's really, really successful um doing that and again, if you're interested at all after this discussion and, and learning more about two d, highly encourage you to look into taking our one d two d HEC-RAS class um, but uh, yeah. so two d modeling is is awesome it's 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 really applicable to a number of situations. However, we're an honest podcast here and we want to talk about also some of the limitations mm-hmm. that two d has. Um, Before we get into some specific project applications, and I know for anybody who's used HECRAS 2D knows um, some of the limitations that it has compared to 1D models is first and foremost, probably runtime. You know, 2D models are going to take a lot longer to run than 1D models. And that's because, um, you know, the equations that are used to solve the model are much more complicated. You're getting a lot more output data, um, which is great. Um, but it also requires more time. So that's something to be aware of. Uh, it's also, you have to have a fairly d- decent um, underlying terrain data set, whether that be LIDAR, bathymetry, or a combination of both. Um, so you, you need a, a pretty good terrain data set in order to run a 2D model, as opposed to a 1D model in which you just need some surveyed cross-sections and you can you can run from there. So those are kind of the two biggest um, limitations that 2D modeling, modeling has and kind of inhibits folks from from getting into the space. I think the other one isn't necessarily a limit with the software itself, more of just maybe a limit in the knowledge base that the H&H world has. And that that is, a, some people just don't know how to use it. And so they're not comfortable with it. And so they're a little bit hesitant. Um, yeah. Anything else, Chris, stand out to you as far as limitations that folks should, would, uh, would want to know about if they were going to jump into the 2D modeling world?
1: It's... Um... It's different than 1D. And so you kind of have to step away from your experience with 1D modeling and, and almost learn a new way of modeling, a new way of approaching how you build your model and how you look at results. So that's new, but the good news is, is really easy in HeckRAS to do it. And I was gonna mention this earlier when we were talking about HeckRAS and when it came on board with 2D modeling, but one of the advantages of the fact that HeckRAS was a little bit late to the game is that it got to look at all these other uh, applications out there and Mm -hmm. what they did and look at what's not working and how can we improve upon that. And so when their product came out, um, you know, it took took a few versions to kind of really uh, get running there were some bumps and bruises along the way but but now in 507 it's it's really good it has a lot of great features and we're starting to see some of these other older 2D uh, applications are now starting to borrow some of the technology yeah. that Raz has has used and so um, anyway that's it's just exciting to see that but get, getting back to your questions so about 2D You know, there are three things that I like people to think about when they're trying to decide between 1D and 2D. And and if you can start with these three things, as far as questions to ask yourself, I think you're going to get off to a good start. The one thing is, do you know the direction of flow? Can you accurately or adequately predict the direction of flow in whatever you're modeling? If the answer is yes and you can draw cross-sections to define that direction of flow, then you can do a 1D model. If the answer is no, you probably want to go to 2D. The second question is, are you interested in results lateral to the main direction of flow? So we've got a river, it's going downstream. In a 1D model, you get average hydraulic parameters for each cross-section, and you don't see a distribution of those hydraulic parameters across a cross-section or section. However, in 2D modeling, you can get that kind of information. You can see a distribution laterally to the direction of flow. If that's of interest to you, then you'd need to go to a 2D model. And finally, are we looking to get really detailed results? And what I mean by that is, do we need uh, spatial detail in our our hydraulic output for some near-field analysis, something like um, an intake to a spillway or maybe a habitat restoration feature where we wanna have that detail there. Um, Those three questions are very good things to ask yourself when you're getting started and that's gonna help inform you whether you go 1D, 2D.
0: Another one I would add to that too is, you know, what is the size of, of your model need to be? You know, if you Oh yeah, that's a good gonna, idea. Yeah. If your model is only is, is going to be have to be pretty small, um, it doesn't it's not going to require a a large area to be covered, then 2D is a really really good choice because if you have the terrain data set for it and you know it's going to be pretty small, it's very easy to set up. It um, is, yeah. You get you get good detailed results. And the other thing is you might convince yourself, you know, the direction of flow. Um, you might convince yourself, hey, there's not really a need to get some some results that are lateral to the main flow path. But a lot of times Chris can attest to this. You set up a 2D model and it'll show you things that you don't necessarily you didn't anticipate or expect. And that's really valuable information, not only for you as a hydraulic engineer, but also for a client or a project. Um and if you if you can cover your bases and just do a two D model, then a lot of times that's the way to go. Um but again, we understand every situation is a little bit unique, a little bit different. Um yeah. so some of those questions that Chris brought up, I think were were really good starting points, but size is another component I think that should be taken into account. So
1: yeah, definitely. And you know what's cool too is you can use a two D model to help inform you of the direction of flow. Yeah. And then take that to set up a one D model. That would be much yeah. more fast and efficient. Great point. Yeah. And so you know, it doesn't necessarily mean hey, um, you know just because I don't know the direction of flow, I can't do a one D model. Maybe hey, maybe yeah. do a quick run in two D just to get an idea. Set up your cross sections accordingly.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and another really interesting point regarding kind of knowing the direction of flow that I wanted to touch on is, you know, when you're doing 2D modeling, it's unsteady. There's no such thing as steady state uh, modeling in uh, in 2D modeling, at least in HECRAS. And so most of the time you're going to be r- routing a, fl- a flood hydrograph through your system, right? And so you might know the direction of flow at a certain flow level, uh, be, it, be it low or high but it's kind of in that in between area when you're on the rising or the falling limb of the flow hydrograph you might not know where direction of flow or maybe it changes or maybe there's a different uh just different hydraulic behavior than there are at different points and in a 1d model you can't capture that because you can't change the orientation of your cross sections during simulation but with 2d model we'll capture that because it doesn't make any assumptions as far as the direction of flow it, it automatically um you know, computes what it what it should be based on the hydraulics in the system.
1: That so. is an excellent point, Ben. And uh, I think that needs to be added to our bullet lists of questions <laughs> to ask, because really, do, do, are things changing significantly from low flow to high flow? Yeah. A great example of that is at a junction. And for those of you out there who have done unsteady flow modeling over junctions, especially in a steeper reach, oh, it can be ridiculously hard to do that to you know to, to troubleshoot to stabilize to get decent results there. A lot of times it means you have to get cross sections really close to that junction before you can even get it to work and um, and then to Ben's point a junction at low flow may look completely different than a junction at high flow mm-hmm. and the entry point where where water from the trip comes in can actually shift in a significant way. Whereas if you were to model that junction with a 2D area, let RAS figure out all that stuff and it can do that. And so that's a great application for 2D. Yeah, absolutely. Cool.
0: Yeah. So um, I think that was a kind of a great background on 2D modeling, some of the limitations, some of the applications. Uh, One of the other things I wanted to just cover briefly is a lot of times this choice of 2D or not 2D uh, isn't, isn't one or the other. A lot of times the best solution is going to be to use some combination of the two. So every model, every modeling situation is going to be unique. Um, but you don't necessarily need to choose one D or two D. A lot of times what Chris and I end up doing on, on models is we'll build, we'll start with the whole model as one D. And, uh, one of our lessons that we love to live, live our HECRAS lives by is start simple, add complexity where needed. And so we always, we always try to start with a one D model. And then based on the results of that 1D model or just kind of further analysis in the situation, we'll add 2D areas where we need it, whether we, whether it's where we need you know, detail uh, output results or whether it's in an area that has some pretty complicated hydraulics, don't quite know the direction of flow, maybe there's some flow junctions. So we'll add 2D areas in there. And that gives yeah. you the best of both worlds, right? You can capitalize on the dynamic output of 2D and not knowing you know, some of the uncertainty and when it comes to flow direction, but you can also really cut down your runtime because the majority of your model will still be 1D in that case, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a great use of the 2D tool because it doesn't limit you to one bucket or the other. You can combine the strengths of both modeling types. So.
1: Yeah, definitely. And... um one thing though to be really cautious of though the 1d 2d connections are oftentimes the biggest source of errors and instabilities when you do put together a 1d 2d model so really get into the uh, user's manual if you're going to try and do a 1d 2d connection and make sure you understand the tips and tricks for doing that Uh, we talk about it in our class too but um, if you're not in our class definitely be cautious about that because that can not only cause instabilities, errors, but it can really slow down your runtimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, your uh, yep. simulation can take a lot longer just because of all those errors it's chugging through. So it's really critical we set those up properly.
0: Yep, absolutely. And then uh, I just wanted to add one last tidbit to this, and that is there are certain situations, certain modeling applications where you need even more detailed results than 2D can provide. Um, And those are becoming more and more numerous as kind of we um, move through time here and 3D modeling becomes more and more of a thing. So there are certain applications certain situations where um, 2D modeling isn't even going to be adequate. And you're going to need to go to that next level of 3D modeling. And there's some great 3D modeling software out there. I know Chris and I um, use some of that 3D modeling software when needed. Um, we always try to stick to HecRAS as much as we can because um, we really, really like the software. We have a, a good understanding of it. But in the growing, you know, technological world that we have, 3D modeling is becoming more more and more relevant. And so understanding when to use 3D modeling is really helpful, too. And I believe, Chris, am I right in that HEC put out a document that talks about the advantages and the situations to use 1D, 2D, and 3D modeling. Is that right?
1: You're absolutely right. And I'll show it right here. In fact, it's called um, Technical Document Number 41. It just came out. It's brand new, came out in August this year. And the title is Modeler Application Guidance for Steady versus Unsteady. So it's not just 1D, 2D, 3D, but also the differences between steady and unsteady. But you can see here there is a comparison between 1D and 2D as well, and uh, it's a great read. As as usual, the, the documents that the hec team puts out are always very well written, easy to read too, which is nice because, you know, um, computational hydraulics is not necessarily the easiest thing to read, but uh, they do a good job of explaining it. But if you scroll down here, I think it was uh, page, what page was that, um, 80-ish, so, Anyway, if you go down far enough, you'll see there is a discussion on uh, advantages, 1D modeling advantages and disadvantages, and 2D modeling advantages and disadvantages. And we touched on a lot of these already, but I highly encourage you to read through this, especially if you're in the process or about to be in the process of deciding between the two, 1D or 2D.
0: Yeah, and these technical documents are are really really well written um and I would encourage all hecras users even if you feel like you have a high level of expertise with 1D 2D modeling I guarantee you will learn something by reading through this document. Um, Absolutely. stuff you you wouldn't have thought of necessarily or maybe things that you have you've been ignoring up until now and that you really should be taking into account when you're using either 1D or 2D. Um, modeling, So really encourage yep. folks to to dive into this document in particular when it comes to answering the question of 2D or not 2D, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and with, with that, Chris, I think uh, this is a good time to jump into a little game that Chris and I are gonna play right now. Uh, so Chris and I both <laughs> have taken, uh, we went through Google Earth uh, on our own time earlier uh, this week and we took some screenshots of different riverine situations. And we are gonna talk through um, some different rivering situations about whether we would model these in 2D, 1D, or, or maybe both. Um, so I'll go ahead uh-huh. and st- I'll start yeah. by sharing my screen and we can go through uh, the examples that I have. And then we can go through Chris's and we definitely encourage the the listeners or the observers of this podcast to make your own uh, decisions here and, and see how it winds up with what Chris and I would do. So. The first photo we have here is at a river delta in southwest Alaska. Um, Ooh, I already so... know
1: the answer just by the <laughs> word delta. Delta—that's a big clue right there. But let's look at it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> you can see we have a pretty braided channel. We got a main stem of the river here in the center of the of the photo, and then it looks like we have a tributary channel here on the le- on the right. And then um, this main channel definitely braids out into some smaller uh, channels as we get closer and closer to the ocean. It looks like this photo was taken um, close to winter. It looks like there's some ice or snow on the ground here. So Chris, what's your initial inclination as far as how you would set this up? Would you use 2D or something else?
1: Well, my initial thought is 2D, but then then I thought, you know, really a lot of it and all of these are gonna depend on, both the scale and the objectives of the modeling study. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is, let's say we wanna model this whole thing. This is all, this entire area, we're we're looking at a major flood event here, and we wanna look low flow to high flow, then drawing a big 2D area around this is gonna be really nice, uh, nice and easy. It's gonna be way easier than trying to fit cross sections. I mean, you try to draw your 1D, um, and, and capture all this, you're going to have, you know, you had to put you know, possibly a lateral structure there and another one right in here, maybe one here, or junctions, which would get a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have some weird cross-section shapes you got to fit in here too to, to hit these meanders. And then how do you handle this, this junction? And does that change from low flow to high flow? So I would say, generally speaking, this to me would be a um, a 2D model, but That being said if you were to zoom in really close and maybe your area of interest is just you know kind of in in this area right here um okay maybe there's a bridge that's going to go in there and um you know maybe maybe you could do a 1d model there but i would say probably 2d
0: yeah is that right (laughs) um well you know i chose this picture because i think it's it's really indicative of the conundrum that hydraulic modelers face because you could look at this in the complicated hydraulics you could imagine during a higher flow scenario, and it absolutely is a two d situation, but mm-hmm. you know, as we know, hydraulic modeling situations and project types aren't always black and white, and so there could very well be a situation where, like you said, maybe you're focused on a smaller section of this reach, or maybe you're yeah. doing something with such a significant flood flooding event, like for instance, maybe there's a dam breach upstream of this where you don't need all of the detail. Uh, of where the water's going and the near field velocities and depths, and you just need something quick and easy. Um, I could see a situation where you could just kind of focus on the tributary up here in the north, and then maybe the uh, main stem of the river here, and just kind of build your 1D model around that, and then let all the other stuff just kind of be incorporated in the floodplain. Um, that could be an yeah. approach, especially if you're talking about, like I said, a huge flood event where this whole thing is gonna be underwater, or a really low flow event where some of these side channels aren't going to be accessed. So, um, I think you're right, Chris, I think most, most folks um, would be wise to do this in 2d modeling, but, uh, it's not black and white, which is just kind of a reality of the work that we do. Um, let's get into this second situation picture here. The Irrawaddy Mm -hmm. river is a river in actually India, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I thought this was a, a good example to share and kind of talk through what you think so it looks like we have uh, a small tributary up here in the uh, on the west or the right overbank of the river and then the river is going in a southerly direction here Um, pretty braided channel a lot of exposed sediment this is probably a lower flow scenario chris what do you think about this one
1: i think you could make it work 1d but again um if you had the the time to put into this and you were comfortable with 2d modeling you might opt to just make this a big 2d area and let raz figure out how the uh the braids interact with each other and and how mm-hmm. it goes from low flow to high flow but yeah I, I could see this i could see this my instinct would try to do it in 2d but if for whatever reason i wanted to do 1d i think you could probably force some cross sections to fit in here. Mm-hmm. You just gotta, you just gotta understand the limitations you're dealing with in
0: 1D. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I thought about when I looked at this picture was, you know, this whole kind of river corridor here is pretty central. The flow direction as a whole is is pretty well known. The real challenge I think with this particular situation is, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you guys who are familiar with 1D modeling, you can only have one water service elevation per cross section. And Mm -hmm. I can see a situation where you can see that this left channel is completely isolated from the right channel. There are no connection points here. And so I could see a situation where you actually have some different water service elevations that are occurring in this in this left channel than you would in this right channel potentially. And that could be a real limitation. Again, if you're talking about doing a restoration design or some other type of detailed analysis, around some of these curves you would want to know what the water surface elevation is that's obviously a big part of this and if you were to do that in 1D um you'd be really that'd be really challenging i think what you would end up having to do is you'd have to do a 1D reach representing the left channel and 1D right a 1D reach representing the right channel with probably a lateral yeah. structure connecting the two of them but
1: Yep. Um, yeah, and that's exactly how we used to do it. If we yep. if we had to see what what's the difference and what's the flow distribution between the the left thread and the right thread. Yep. Yeah, you would you would have to to fit cross sections in there, put a lateral structure in between, have a junction at the upstream and downstream end. And it, it could get really messy, especially think about if you had maybe 3 or 4 braids. Yep. And maybe this happening at several parts along your reach. I mean, it can get to be a really really messy and complicated model. And uh, as you guys know by now, Ben and I like simple models. That's the best way to go.
0: The other cool thing about this this situation here is looking at the river, and I don't have Google Earth open right now, but just upstream of this, the river is single channel. It's fairly straight and uniform. And same with the downstream. This is kind of an outlier when it comes to the, the local Um, the river geometry. And so this could be a great uh, scenario to do 1D model upstream of this area, have this whole thing modeled as 2D and then connect back into a 1D model downstream. This could be a good application for that. All right, right, last one, and then I'll turn it over to Chris to talk about his. Chris, what do you think about this situation? This is actually on the Potomac River uh, Uh in the Eastern United States. Is this 2D or not 2D? And flow is moving from left to right here on the screen.
1: Okay, um, I my instinct initially is this is a 1D model, especially if we're looking at, uh, you know, our scope of study is at the same scale as what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could you can easily see the flow direction of both of these channels. Uh, this junction looks fairly straightforward. You can it's very clear where that junction takes place. I don't see it moving around too much. I think maybe one of the difficulties would be determining where that split takes place between this reach and that reach. Mm-hmm. You have to define that that plane of confluence right here along this um, uh, this this confluence area to determine where the cross sections reside. But I can see this to be a, a very easy 1D application. However, like all of these other ones, a lot of it depends on the study objectives and the scale, mm-hmm. what we're looking at. If we're looking at, say, right around here, if this is our model study area, mm-hmm. well, then you know maybe, maybe this is a 2D model because you can see there's a lot of weird stuff going on in there, mm-hmm. a lot of... It looks like some a bunch of channels cut into bedrock. Yep. Um and so yeah, so anyway, um those are my thoughts.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Chris, I want you to I want to point out something to you too that this is the reason I chose this um, particular photo. I want to see if this changes your mind one way or the other. And that is these three elements of this model if this is going to be our model domain. What do you notice? What do you notice about what's inside of those? Yeah, we have bridges there. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we hadn't touched on yet, and it's a kind of a limitation of 2D as of now, is you're not able to incorporate the same bridge routine that HECRAS 1D has. So we're not able to use the federal highway bridge equations. And so oftentimes that is a non-starter when it comes to Um, choosing whether you do a 1D or 2D model in certain situations, because some projects just require you to use the Federal Highway Equations for bridges. And so um, given everything Chris said, along with the fact that we have three bridges in this area, I think this is definitely would be a good um, candidate for 1D modeling. Um, But the, the, uh, the other point I wanted to bring up is an opportunity to plug again the new version of HECRAS, which is hopefully coming out soon and uh, our understanding based on what we've heard from some of the developers over there at HEC is uh, there will be a bridge routine in 2d which will allow you to to use those same uh, federal highway bridge equations uh, in a 2d area which will really open up um, applications for 2d to areas just like this that maybe were previously not available
1: yeah and word has it's it's going to be very easy to use and very familiar to folks who have done bridge modeling in 1D already. So there's not going to be a steep learning curve on how to do bridges in 2D. It should be very intuitive, very easy to use and um yeah, so look forward to that cool. coming soon.
0: All yeah. right, Chris, why don't you share yours? Um and then we'll uh we'll wrap up shop.
1: All right, Ben. Okay, 2D or not 2D. That is the question for you right here.
0: Okay. Okay. So it looks like we have uh, maybe an engineered canal. Yeah. Um, it looks to me like this is very, it's very straight (laughs) and not a lot of meanders going on. So this, this to me definitely looks 1D. However, um, the one thing that is standing out is the fact that it doesn't look like we have much of a levee or embankment on the leftover bank there. And it looks like it maybe even drops off pretty substantially into the floodplain. So, I could see a situation where this is you know, absolutely 1D during low to mid flow type of events. But if that leftover bank ever gets overtopped, this is going to be a very two-dimensional flow situation.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because that's exactly why I chose this picture. Because nice. initially yes. you're like, yeah, so that's a point for you. That's a point. So it's, I think it's three to one. Uh, I'm ahead three to one right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> so um yeah i mean it looks very one-dimensional and it is this is about as one-dimensional as it gets but when you start thinking about okay what are we actually looking at for Mm -hmm. this study are we just looking at this flow condition Mm -hmm. if so then all right we've got a nice straightforward 1d model this is about as easy as it gets for 1d but you're right what happens if we're looking at maybe a flood scenario or maybe there's a weakness in one of these levees, either the left or right side, and we want to evaluate what would happen if it breaches. Now, all of a sudden, we go from a very linear, one-dimensional type uh, application to now when water spills out or over this levee into this floodplain or interior area, whatever you want to call it, it's going to spread out all over the place unpredictably, which is a great indication of a 2D model. So here we might do the canal as 1D, yep. put a lateral structure on the levee and where you can put a breach into it and then breach it into a 2D area. So this would be a 1D, 2D model with an offline 2D area. Nice. Well done. I think I'll give you a bonus point too, Ben, because you got both the 1D, but also the nuance of maybe having a 2D part to it. So very cool. nice job. All right. So let's pull up another one here. Um, We talked about this a little bit already, but what do you think, Ben?
0: So this is kind of similar to that Southeast Alaska one. Um, It looks like that to me, at least it looks like we're looking at maybe some mountains uh, in Alaska. And this is to me, I'm trying to think of any reason why it wouldn't be 2D. But to me, this is definitely a, a 2D scenario, highly braided system looks very shallow too. So a small change in in water service elevation could really change your flow paths through here, which is another aspect of kind of the unpredictability of a situation is how flat is the flood point overall. And this is very, very flat. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is a yep. I- ideal candidate for 2D modeling, I would say. Although the, the one thing I will point out is it looks pretty substantially sized. And so if you were going to do this in 2D, you would have uh, just need to be prepared for some potentially pretty long run times.
1: Yeah, that's exactly the 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 uh, point I was looking for. Um, particularly at this flow level, this is very two dimensional in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, now, if we were to look at maybe say a massive flood event much higher than this one and it fills the entire yeah. valley and is all yeah. just running downstream through the valley, then you could probably make a 1D model work okay in that case. Yep. But for this level, yeah, this the I mean, trying to make a one D model out of what you're looking at right now, uh, nearly impossible.
0: Yeah, that looks like yeah. the one D model you made for the Missoula floods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So expect to take a couple months then to put it together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so, what we- all right, let's go to the next one here. Um, here is a spot close to where we live.
0: Oh yeah, that looks like the mouth of the Columbia River. It is, yeah. Do um, you want to zoom in a little bit, Chris, and sure. see if yeah. there's anything kind of hydraulically unique b- besides just it being a uh, mouth of the river here? So it looks a little bit braided, obviously in the southern portion there. Um, yeah. You're obviously going to have some tidal influence here, but one D right. modeling, one mm-hmm. D modeling can do tidal. Nothing, nothing crazy about that um and especially with the size of it i mean this is for those of you guys who are not familiar with with the mouth of the columbia river but this particular photo is pretty sizable so if this was your project area i think this is definitely a 1d model i don't think there's enough um dynamicness to warrant doing a 2d study here but again maybe you're doing a small restoration study, especially in that Mm -hmm. Southern area where it's kind of braided where you might be worthwhile. But to me, this is not 2D.
1: Yeah, and I purposefully picked this for two reasons. One, because it's not clear cut. I, Mm -hmm. I think you can make an argument for 1D, you can make an argument for 2D here. And so it really gets to the study objectives and what you're after, how much detail you're looking for. If this is just the downstream of a very long model of the Columbia River, well, you probably would not wanna make it all a 2D model. But Mm -hmm. now let's say like you're saying, maybe this is our study and maybe this is what we really wanna zoom in on and study and see the intricacies of the flow patterns as they move around these little islands and bars and everything in here. Maybe it's a habitat restoration project in, in there. Then yeah, maybe you go 2D. But um, the other reason I wanted to show this picture is because I think one of the coolest HEC-RAS models I've ever seen was a model of this right here, the Columbia River Estuary. And I'm gonna show an animation of it. And this this animation you're gonna look at um, and the model behind it was built by Gary Bruner, and he made this before there was 2D in RAS. So this is a 1D model if you can believe it. Wow, yeah. So it's amazing what you were able to do with 1D. I wish I had the cross-section layout, but I don't have that. But you can imagine what that might have looked like. And there were, I know there were a lot of storage areas with lateral structures built into this. Yeah. And as you can see, it's a it's a tidal uh, model. So you can see that kind of in and out pulsing going on. That's but yeah, really slick. Yeah. So this just demonstrates you can make a 1D model out of this because that's yeah. exactly what this is. But granted it was it's an advanced model it's a challenge um so anyway credit to gary Bruner for this model he's the one who put it together but i always like that especially before 2d came out because people would look at it and say oh what 2d model is that and would mm-hmm. say no it's actually 1d ras did that yeah. so kind of cool
0: yeah it's just a good yeah. reminder that and again we we touched on this at the top but uh it's it's it's, there's never a concrete solution to whether you use 2D or 1D. There's There are so many, so many other um, things to consider about your particular project, different constraints you might have, um, which is it's frustrating at times for hydraulic modelers, but at the same time, it's also one of the things that I personally love about hydraulic modeling, water resources engineering, is that uh, there's a lot of gray area, and that makes for some really interesting um conversations dialogue and teamwork opportunities to come up with what the best solution is for a particular
1: yeah is and isn't the best when you have a project where you have to come up with a creative solution maybe something that you've never seen before or maybe no one has ever tried before and you're able to make it work and the key to that everyone out there is understanding the computations behind the 1d engine and the 2d knowing the differences and understanding what's going on under the hood because once you know that that kind of unlocks the secrets to how you set up models and what you can and can't do or what you should or shouldn't do in setting up mm-hmm. your model really allows you to get very creative with how you set it up and solve problems that maybe you didn't think could be done in razz but but they can if you yep. set it up properly so yep,
0: yeah. that's one of the one of the kind of dangers of using heck Raz is I think it's it's pretty easy how to you know click the buttons and make something work, but it's a lot harder to know what you should be using, what's more what's more appropriate, what's more applicable to the particular situation you're you're using. But that also you know when you know that that gives you a lot of um, you know capability in the engineering world as far as um, you know your knowledge and your value to a particular project or a company. So.
1: Good point. Good point. Uh, Ben is, is, uh, I see it. You won the 2d or not 2d challenge because of that bonus point. That was it. That's what did it. So congrats on winning. I owe you a a great notions beer at some point, or is it good notion or great notion? Great notion. Great notion. Yep. Yep. All right. I owe you a great notion beer as soon as we can get out there, uh, safely and do it. That sounds
0: great. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Well, today, this was a great discussion, Chris. I think it's going to be really valuable to everybody who listens. Yeah. Um, again, uh, i highly encourage if you guys enjoyed this type of dialogue, this type of information that we're presenting today, um, there is so much more where this came from, not only on this podcast channel, but really in our 1D, 2D class that we teach. So keep an eye out for that class announcement. I'm coming for next spring. And uh, I guess with that, Chris, do you have any closing thoughts?
1: No, just check out that document, TD41, the 1D, 2D, 3D, Steady, Unstay. It's a great document. It's um, something I'm so glad they put out because that question comes up all the time. So give it a read. That's going to give you a really solid background and, and allow you to make not only make good decisions on how you set up your model, but allow you to communicate to your team members, your colleagues, your clients on why you're setting up the model the way you are setting it up so yeah and thanks for listening everybody
0: absolutely with that uh this has been episode 10 of full momentum and HEC RAS podcast thanks everybody